0: The thoughts and opinions expressed on Halal Money Matters do not necessarily reflect the views of Saturna Capital, Amanda Mutual Funds, or their affiliates. Welcome to Halal Money Matters, sponsored by Saturna Capital. I'm Scott St. Clair.
1: And I'm Monim Salam. You know, Scott, I always talk about the fact that there's special guests that we have on the show, but this time it's actually, I I really mean it because I'm a big football fan. And so we actually have on the show Hussein Abdullah. After graduating from uh, Wazoo, which is Washington State and not too far away from Bellingham, he actually played for the Vikings, uh, took a year off to go for Hajj and then came back and started his career again and, and played for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. And so what I am really uh, want to learn more about is, you know, when, when athletes, you know, what they go through when they're in college, but then at a young age, they come into a lot of money. And so how did they learn to like, you know, manage that money or they not manage it and just blow it you know those type of things i think it'll be good because uh, for a lot of people you know whether it be through inheritance or maybe through an ip of a company they might be faced with a similar situation so let's get into it let's do it so assalamu alaikum uh, brother Same. thank you very much for being here on the show it's an honor to have you
2: thank you for having me i really uh, appreciate it and Wa alaikum where are you based at right now I'm um, here in Frisco, Texas, so in the greater DFW area.
1: No, oh, My parents live in Plano, so I'm very familiar with, it used to be grassland when I used to live there, so yes.
2: Yep, uh,
1: it's booming, it's booming. Um, so I want to start off with those people that might not be familiar, I'm, I'm very few and far between, I'm sure, but uh, to, just a little bit about your background, where you're from, you know, how you got into the, uh, to football, NFL, you know, just those type of things.
2: Uh, yep. So I'm from a family of 12. I mean, really more from a blended family, eight boys and four girls, uh, Southern California, Pomona, California.
1: Nice.
2: Really played the game of football because my pop said he wanted to raise tough boys. So he threw <laughs> us in there and we played. We had fun. We liked it. And then I found out that I can go to college for free playing football.
1: All eight of you play football or was it just a few of you? Uh,
2: yeah, no, we all play football. Uh, My brother Hamza and I, we were the ones who reached the highest level. Hamza went to Washington State University in, in 2000. And that was such a big deal. It's like, whoa, Hamza's is going to college for free. And then I'm like, whoa, I'm watching Hamza play on TV. And I was like, man, I want to do that too. You know, the grind becomes different, right, to become uh, an elite athlete. And so ultimately, I get a scholarship. I go up to Washington State in 2003. So what's the age difference between you? It's about four years or so, I think? Uh, It's two years. But because we were homeschooled, Homs was advanced a little bit. So in school years, Homs is three years older than me, but he's really only two years older than me. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Homs got drafted in the NFL in 2005. And then it's like, wow, you know, Hamza got drafted. He's playing in the NFL. It's like, well, I want to play in the NFL. (laughs) And so then that grind becomes different, right? Um, And so ultimately, I went to the NFL undrafted. uh, So really tough road. I played for the Minnesota Vikings from 2008 to 2011. And then 2012 was a year where I caught a timeout to get my life in order. And I went for Hodge. Uh, My brother and I, and then 2013 to 2015, I played for the Chiefs and I retired from the NFL in early 2016.
1: Well, it's an amazing, amazing journey. Um, just a couple of things on that. So you, you talked about, you know, kind of looking up to your brother and saying, wow, he was able to get a scholarship show. You know, maybe I can do the same thing. We've had other shows on here talking about scholarships and, and how to successfully navigate university life without getting into debt and, and, and those type of things. So, I mean, how tough is it to be able to go from, I'm assuming you didn't play for high school, but you did travel football since you, did, you were homeschooled.
2: Um, no, the the structure is different now. Youth sports is a crazy business. Um, they're lying to a lot of kids thinking that they're going to get a scholarship if they just pay more money. And it's, it's not the case. Um, the case is, uh, depending upon what you do in your game film, that's what's going to stand out. And so uh, there was no travel ball uh, when I was coming up. There was uh, good old-fashioned high school football, and you had to stand out. We were homeschooled fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, part of seventh grade, we were homeschooled, homeschooled and went to an Islamic school for about a year and a half. And then uh, Hamza actually begged my parents to go back to high school uh, with the promise of I'm going to get a scholarship. That was was the promise. (laughs) Because, you know, during that time, uh, Pomona in the area and Pomona High School was really bad. And they were concerned, of course, Uh, They didn't want to get in any trouble. There were people joining gangs, people turning into drug addicts, uh, alcoholics, uh, some people uh, being shot and killed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so our parents were like, no, we got to make sure we protect you from that. And we have to make sure you keep uh, Islam number one. So no public school. And Hamza was like, I can do it. I can do it. Please put me back (laughs) in public school. And so that was the promise. And um You know, Hamza actually only played one year of varsity football and he got a scholarship. And so it was extremely impressive um, how he was able to do it. And so, uh, yeah, so from there, I was like, all right, if he can do it in one year, I should be able to do it in three. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I was able to uh, play really well and get recruited.
1: How difficult would you say is it to go from, you know, high school football and then actually get into getting a scholarship and actually playing ball in college. Because I just, I, I want to make sure that we're setting expectations properly, right? It's so like not everybody can do it, obviously. So what what is that kind of look, looks like for, for you or for other people?
2: From all the, the kids who dare to put on pads and go out there and play uh, high school football, only 1% make it to the Division One level. Um, so, you have millions of kids uh, around America, now probably international too, uh, playing high school football, and only 1% actually go to the next level. So, it's not uh, something that's a walk in the park. Uh, Universities are not going to pay your way through school unless you're giving them something back. You got to be special a little bit. And nowadays, they actually can get paid too, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, we can get paid back in my day, but only 1% of people who who dare to try uh, make the jump.
1: I'm proud to say I'm part of the 99%, by the way, just FYI. (laughs) Okay. 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 (laughs) I I played a little bit of ball, but it was was nice. nice.
2: What position? What position?
1: Uh, I play wide receiver.
2: There you go.
1: So I made my sophomore year, I made JV. Um, so i was able to play jv but then after that i uh, uh, my parents said you can't play anymore So like yeah. so you either do band or nothing that's the only way you're going to show up <laughs> on the field so okay. then i ended up like joining a marching band and so I d- did that for uh from my high school career. It was fun. It was, it was a great experience. So now we're, we're talking about college. And, and, and you know, I, like you just kind of alluded to, um, the game has actually changed from a compensation perspective before it used to be that the only thing you could get was scholarships. And that, and that was it. But now they've actually recently, I think in the next past couple of years, just implemented something where you can actually get paid for playing. So let's start with where you were, right? I mean, you hear the stories about you know how they try to woo you into coming to a certain university and that those type of things and and i'm sure that's more hollywood than reality so the reality is basically what happens uh, i mean i remember watching uh, the kaepernick movie movie on netflix and he was just basically getting letters in the mail right that's that's how he was able to make it. so is that pretty much how how that works out you send in a video and then uh, to all the different schools
2: yeah well that's that's how it goes um you know back then uh, you just, you play. One, you got to be good first. And then scouts will look, whether they look it in the um, the area paper, the city paper, you know, the the state to see rankings. They'll just look for people who are standing out. And then depending upon your coaches, your coaches have different connects and they contact different schools. Hey, we got a guy, come check him out. Or maybe a school is, they're looking at Joe football player from this team over here. And you just have to be playing against a Joe football player. And you give Joe football player the business. And they're like, okay, well, we want to recruit this guy now. It's kind of the way it went. And so then it's phone calls, uh, letters in the mail. It's uh, visits down to your school, visits into your home, visits to the college campus. Uh, It is amazing. It's a recruiting trip. And they do roll out the red carpet. It's even more so now because you have social media involved and all kind of hype videos. Mm -hmm. They do all kind of stuff because – they want to attract the best talent so they can win uh, because we know winning brings a whole lot of dollars, uh, media, merch, student enrollment, just lifts the entire university. And in America, football is king. Uh, I mean, it's just kind of what we do. Um, yeah. And so it really does lift the university. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of the process. And in Hamza's situation was actually really special. We had a all American safety that people were coming from, Florida State, Nebraska, you know, the the Michigans of the world. Like, everybody was coming in to watch a guy by the name of Jimmy Verdun. Jersey number was number seven. They would watch the film, and they was like, man, that number five really put on a great performance. And they're like, no, 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 Jimmy's number seven. They're like, well, who the (laughs) hell is number five? And they're like, oh, that's Hamza Abdullah. So, then after that, you know, the phone calls and the letters really started flooding for him. So, that's kind of how Hamza got scouted.
1: And then from your perspective, is this the time when you basically are getting into this area of like uh, finding an agent?
2: No, this is just, uh, you know, now people talk to agents cause they're trying to get deals for their name, image and likeness, that's the new rule. Uh, you can get brand deals, you can get marketing deals now. Uh, before, if you take a penny, el- your eligibility was gone, so you couldn't touch nothing. So none of those people existed until it was time to get ready to go to the NFL. So at this point it's just parents, coaches, and you're just trying to figure out what's the best decision for your playing career for your academic future. And that's really it. I mean, that's kind of what you decided based off of.
1: And you ended up going to Wazoo because of uh, your brother.
2: Uh, yep. I uh, went up there because of my brother and it was, uh, it was the best offer, um, you know, all the way through. I had, Washington State, that was really on me, Arizona State, Kansas University. I had a a lot of other schools too. It came down to those three. And when I really looked at the three, I really liked Washington State because they had been winning, right? They had been winning. My brother was up there. When I went on my recruiting trip up there, it just felt like a family. And so I, I really enjoyed it. That's why I committed up there.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask what being a student athlete was like in college, because I was a student and that was it. And that was hard enough on its own. I can't imagine trying to play sports as well.
2: Yep. It was terrible until I adjusted to it. (laughs) Um, I remember uh, my red shirt year, man, I used to get in so much trouble because 530 weights, I could never make it. So we're supposed to be there for 530 weights and I'm always working out with the 615 group. And they're looking at like, aren't you a red shirt? Aren't you supposed to be here earlier? And uh, just, you know, just getting out of bed, walking across campus, because the majority of the athletes, they stayed in these uh, co-ed dorms right across from the athletic facility. I stayed on the other side of campus in this all boys dorm because I was late to fill out everything. And so I had a long trek. Um, And so uh, it sucked for me because typically you have a buddy system, um, but my roommate, he played as a true freshman, so he got to go into the 715 weights. So I had nobody to help wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I used to be late. So, uh, you know, with being late comes extra sprints, up-downs in the snow. Um, mm-hmm. They're just all kind of crazy punishment stuff, right? I'm just getting disciplined left and right. Uh, and so, you know, I had to adjust to these long days to where you're waking up super early you have to go in there. You have to work out. You have to you try to give it your all because you want to get better. And then right after that, shower up. And then you have to go to class. You go to class. And then after you get done with class, you go back to the facility. You got to get yourself ready. You got to practice. You got to have film. You got to have meetings. And then when you're done with that, you shower up. And then now you're going into the ours uh, is called the art, the athletic resource Center. And then I got to do my study hall hours. And it was like, man, I'm burnt. Mm -hmm. Like, this is too much. And so that red shirt year really was a good adjustment year. Um, On top of that, being homesick, my family's in California. Um, You know, I had only left the state once or twice visiting my uncle in Phoenix. So I was a long way away from home. Um, So it was just a lot of adjusting. You have no time whatsoever for the most part. You always feel like your body's being beat on and you got to recover super quick. But when you embrace the lifestyle, then that's when you can start to grow. So at some point, I just submitted to the grind and said, okay, this is what it is. This is what I signed up for. I got to do it.
1: And you mentioned a little bit about the fact that this was the first time you were uh, on your own uh, um, away from home, which I can totally get the idea of the homesickness part. I felt very similar when I was in, in college as well. But at the same time, now you're you're in college, you're in your redshirt, you're basically you're com- completely like 100% scholarship, right? And that's probably maybe I'm gonna assume for a lot of people, it's the first time they've really been kind of unquote pampered.
2: Pampered, uh, yes and no. Definitely, again, we didn't have to worry about tuition and I've seen the headache it caused in other people. Mm -hmm. We got like two meals, you got a check, but really after you paid off all of your bills, um, you were living below the poverty line. (laughs) And uh, while other kids can go and get some kind of job, we had no time for a job. So on one hand, you're getting everything. On the other hand, everybody's broke as a joke, <laughs> right? Uh, for us, we were we were penny-pinching our financial aid check and just trying to make it. And, you know, we used to be like, man, if I buy this video game, I'm not going to be able to eat for this long. Like, should, I, should, I, should I do it, right? Um, and for me, you know, the blessing to have Hamza as an older brother because the second the money came in, he was like, you're going to pay off your rent for the semester. You're going to front load your, your light bills, your this, your that. So then we can see what you're really working with, right? Whereas other people, they're like, oh, look, I got all this money because they used to, I don't know why, they give it to us all up front. And people will go blow it, waiting for the next check, and there was no next check. And then you have student athletes sleeping inside of on someone's couch, sleeping out of someone's car because they did not manage the money that we had. So yes, yeah, so on one end they rolled out the red carpet, and on the other man, it was it was, it was a struggle. But we we weren't in the SEC getting getting handshake deals and stuff under the table. It's, I mean, and now you know a lot of those guys they're open about it because now you know what what can you do? But um, you know our school really was like strict strict by the book. Nobody got any extra benefits, and so um, if you were available for financial aid, that's all you got. Some people who didn't make it, they used to call home and be like mom, can you please just send me?
1: Uh, so. You never were taught about how to budget or how to, how to do anything like that. Corey? you were like right before you came in?
2: No, no. I mean, from what my parents teach me, right. Yeah. Um, just kind of, Hey man, make sure you got a roof over your head, lights on, right. Just, just like the bare basics. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, uh, all the financial literacy at that point that any of us, uh, really had and Some people didn't even have that. I remember the story, uh, in the summertime, they gave us one check, and it's supposed to take care of everything for the three months and literally, like it like by the time you spent everything, you may have had hundred fifty dollars left mm-hmm. uh, right for three months. And I remember this guy he goes out and he buys this motorized helicopter. <laughs> like like, the hell are you doing right he buys this helicopter he's like oh look i got a helicopter and he's flying it around the apartment complex and showing everybody and i was like everybody's like you know uh we don't get no more money for the rest of the summer right like you need to take that back and this guy he, he, he blew his money and after that he was just sleeping on couch to couch until people got tired of him until just trying to make it to the fall semester when the tuition kicked in and the, um, the stipend and the, uh, you know, the financial aid kicked in. And so, um, yeah, man, it was, it, if you didn't even, if you didn't understand the basics of pay rent first, yeah, you, you had a, you had a really bad,
1: I remember even when I was in college, that was the first time I had, you know, had a bank account. The first time I was writing my own my, my own bills. We actually have time to do this stuff. You don't have time to do pretty much anything else but study and work out and go to the games. And, and then there's travel and everything along those lines as well. So it becomes a lot more complicated. You've been playing for four years in college and now maybe you're in your final year and you said you were undrafted, so you basically had to kind of just push your own way into the league, basically. But um, mm-hmm. and I think you said Hamza was, was, was drafted straight out of uh, college. Mm-hmm. So what does that process look like from a perspective of the offers that you're getting or, or those type of things? Is that just as it was from high school to college or is it a completely different story?
2: No, it's different. Now, as you're playing uh, after your sophomore year, you can become draft eligible. So a team can draft the rights to, you know, said player the elite people can go after they hit 21 so about their sophomore year another elite people leave after their junior year but the majority of people it's you play out your senior year and then now you're draft eligible but there's only 300 some odd spots uh, in the draft for people to get drafted and so Hamza was like I think he was um, in like that last 10 to get drafted he was drafted in the 7th round Mm -hmm. uh, by Tampa Bay uh, went down there did really well but then they cut him And then they brought him back later, uh, like cut him for, I think it was out for like a month or so. They brought him back, and then he ultimately signed with Denver. And then uh, that's where his career really kicked off. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, on the other hand, um, you go through, like you train, you have the biggest job interview of your life, which is called the NFL Combine. Combine you yeah. go down there, you everybody has on uh underwear, t-shirts and underwear. You run, you jump, you try to look pretty, show off with your muscles a little bit, say, Hey, look, I could play in the NFL. <laughs> um, and they evaluate every little thing. Uh it's I really don't don't like it. It makes you like your skin crawl a little bit, but this is their evaluation system along with your game film. And so then they rank people, and then they pick uh, come draft day. Seven rounds came and went by. My name was not called, but shortly after that, the Minnesota Vikings called and they said, hey, we want you to sign with us as an um, undrafted free agent and you have an opportunity to come play and try out and make our team. That's what I did and Alhamdulillah I was able to not only make the team, but uh, I never went on the practice squad and that's a, that's a huge feat for an undrafted guy because most people, if you're undrafted, they'll bring you on and if you're good, they'll put you on the practice squad, which means you're good enough to practice, but you're not good enough to play in the games. Mm -hmm. I was able to go straight into being on the active roster, uh, which is also from a money perspective, your check looks different and you get a credited year for being active. And so someone can be on the practice squad for two years and have no credited seasons towards a pension or retirement or anything like that. So by me being on the active roster, uh, I was able to get those credited years and get that, that full check.
1: I'm talking about generally speaking, you know, people coming through high school, um, going to college. And again, as you were talking about with the scholarships and everything, you're pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. Let's suppose you do get drafted or you get picked and you you have that credit year. And all of a sudden you have this influx of money coming in, right? Um, Without any training or what, what to do with that money, whatever that amount is for a 22, 23, 24 year old. That's a lot of lot of money. So, what happens in that situation? Like, how did you end up managing? You know, those type of things, or so how do other people do it?
2: Uh, yeah, man, it's a, it's a huge fitner to go from not having to all of a sudden having, right? Um, I think for me, um, I was I mean, it's not. To know. But
1: let's be clear, it's not having for a lot of people. It's like more money than ever seen in the life combined. Yeah, it's
2: it's it's excess. It's more than probably your whole family has pulled in their lifetime for some people, right? And so for me, I was very, very blessed to not only have my brother who have gone before me, but a lot of those guys who I said we were family at Washington State, we had one or two guys going to the NFL every year Mm -hmm. from the secondary, so from my position. So I was able to contact them and uh, ask different questions. So I knew that I didn't know enough, which was really good. And because I came in undrafted, the way the NFL contract works, and this is why it's so important when you see a guy say – has guaranteed money. And this is why your favorite player doesn't want to play unless he has guaranteed money. Because let's say my contract and my rookie contract was $305,000, which was a ton of money coming out of uh, college, right? $10,000 signing bonus, $295,000 for the season. But the way it works is at that time, the NFL was 17 seasons. So if you play week one, you get one 17th of – 295. If you get cut the next week, that's it. right? Oh, yeah. So for me, knowing and understanding that I knew that it was really week to week. It wasn't a year contract. I say I played four years in Minnesota, but it was week to week for four years. right? So for me, my mindset is completely different. My mindset is Hey, I got to stash away as many acorns as possible Mm because I have no idea when they're going to shut me out, right? Because out of the blue, it could be something that maybe I'm not performing and you get cut. I've seen people get cut just because of numbers. Somebody plays safety. uh, This team has four safeties. Two offensive tackles go get hurt. They got to sign offensive tackle. Goodbye, safety. You got to go. And so... Sometimes you can do everything right and still get released. So for me, knowing that, I was very conservative in my approach to uh, spending. So my first two years, I kind of still lived like I was in college, like really tight budgeting, not really opening up the uh, pocketbook that much. Uh, whereas uh, it's different from somebody who comes in first or second round. Like I said, my sign the bonus, $10,000. Imagine the guy who comes in and his sign the bonus is Five million, three million, two million dollars. Well, he's coming in and he's buying everything he ever dreamed of, and everybody in his family wants everything that they ever dreamed of. And people think that you're set for life, and that because you have all this, there's no way that you can go broke because now we can buy this and this, and who cares? You just signed for two million dollars, three million dollars. And so, you see a lot of those guys sometimes who come in top heavy have the roughest time, but the guy who comes in. And they're the bottom guy on the roster like me who had to, you know, they didn't know if they're going to be here tomorrow or not. They're more conservative. And you see sometimes uh, over a time span, they do better with their money. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. One thing that comes to mind is the show Ballers. We talks about the f- football life outside of the actual game itself. I mean, one of the interesting things that I found with that show is that, you know, you basically end up having friends and family that you didn't know you had, or there's a crew that's always going along with you. And is that for real? Does that really happen? And, and how do you manage that?
2: You have to learn how to say no. Hmm. We all have a problem that a couple more bucks will solve, right? Like every, every single one of us, man, if I just had another $100, $200, $500, $1,000, $10,000, we all have a problem that we just feel if we just had a little bit more capital, it will solve this problem. And so just imagine if all of a sudden your brother just had more money than he needs, right? What's well, going to stop you from? picking up the phone and saying, Hey bro, uh, can you let me borrow two fifty? I have this going on and I'm in a tight, tight spot. Can you help me out? Imagine everybody you interacted with picking up the phone call and making that same phone call, right? This is what the difficulty is of, um, people who go through this uh, scenario and people say yes right? And especially, you know, I think it's over 75% of the NFL is uh, Black Americans. And Black Americans, we definitely have a culture of not selling out and wanting to make sure we take care of everybody. And sometimes it works against us in these situations, because now you're trying to take care of everybody, but people just bleeding you and sucking you dry. Uh, Obviously, it's been well-documented. The ESPN 30 for 30 broke, did an amazing job displaying that. And there's tons of articles written of how athletes just get kind of sucked dry and then people scatter the second there's no more. Biggest thing that they tell you when you get in is you're going to have to learn how to say no. And it's tough and people will come with every type of issue, but you realize, uh, and sometimes you do give and you give and you give and you realize money is not the problem this person's lifestyle is the problem, or this person's financial spending behavior is the problem, or this person needs more education here, they need to get a job there, whatever it may be. But you realize that money is typically not the problem, but it's a lifestyle.
1: One thing is to do with athletes, but also this happens in corporate America as well, where you might end up having windfall from a initial public offering and those type of things. What I find difference, however, is probably in an athlete's case, it's literally you're getting that upfront bonus as cash. Whereas a lot of times in, the, in corporate America, you're getting it in shares, which you can't sell. So you know, even though your net worth might be a lot of money, it's on paper because you're not able to cash out on it. And let's talk a little bit about the intersection, right? In Islamically, right, there's a hadith that says, the left hand should not know what the right hand is giving. Okay, so now let's take Hussein Abdullah, right? So now Hussein Abdullah, Alhamdulillah, your family was okay, but let's suppose you had a lot of friends who came to you and said, hey, you know, can I borrow this or can I do this? Can I?" Do this? How do you think about that context of being able to freely give because charity doesn't reduce wealth, as, as the Prophet ﷺ said. So how do you balance the two together?
2: Um, yeah, so we know the ahadith where uh, actions are by their intentions. So what are you doing it for? Are you doing it so they say, oh, Hussein is not a sellout? Or are you doing it for the sake of Allah, right? And so, if you're doing it for the sake of Allah, the then you approach it differently. So now, what are we talking about, right? What 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 is what is it that you need money for? And especially, we know that the best charity starts right there at home, those people closest around you. And so, you just kind of ask, and maybe someone is saying they need a thousand dollars, but really they only need about one fifty. You give them one fifty right? Definitely given charity because charity, you'll never go broke giving charity, right? With the right intention, you never go broke giving charity. And that's, you know, um, paraphrasing the Hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, but um, we definitely should give and allow blesses those people who do give. Um, but at the same time, we're not supposed to just give and give and give to the point to where somebody becomes a bill. You know what I mean? So again, just using a little bit of uh, discernment in terms of when am I going to give? How am I going to give? Or how much am I going to give? Who am I going to give to? Someone says, Oh, I need help with my lights. Uh, my lights are gonna get cut off. When I'm gonna get put out. But and then uh, you say, okay, let me see your debit card statement. And you see Netflix, mm-hmm. you're seeing eating out, you see, oh, yeah, you don't need my money. I can help you with some with some discipline. That that's what you need, right? And so um just a little bit of just a little bit of discernment um in terms of family matters. Uh, if somebody from the outside is reaching out, um, you just, you just got to be mindful of uh, who and what you give to. And just, again, make sure you're doing it with the purest of intentions, with the cleanest of hearts. And then when you give, just let it go. You just give it for the sake of Allah and don't even think about knowing. Just instantly forget about it and just move on about your day.
1: Yeah. There's also extravagance in Sadaqah. I mean, there's there's a point where you don't give too much that you're going to be asking for money tomorrow. Right, and there has to be that balance as well so um, you really have to kind of look at it from a perspective of yes I want to give it in such a way that you're not asking me tomorrow for more money right so, so so now you're you're in the NFL you're you're making money but you know you have a very very short life in the NFL itself right because you're what one injury away from never playing again that's that's one part of it and so for for you it was like okay 117th is is what you're basically getting as far as salary. But there's also, after you leave the NFL, there's like a pension as well, correct? Like after you've retired and, and then those type of things. Uh, is that for life?
2: I call it old man money. Um, okay. So that stuff doesn't take you into like 55, right? Oh. So for the majority of people, you know, you're going to be a former athlete longer than you're an athlete. I don't care if you have a... 10, 12-year career, which would be long in the NFL. I had a seven-year career. That's long. Mm -hmm. They say the average is three and a half, but I've seen people not last two days. Even if a guy has, uh, you know, take me, for example, I had a seven-year career. I retire at 30. Well, what the heck are you going to do from 30 to (laughs) 55, (laughs) right? Before the old man money kicks in. Um, The the pensions, the 401ks, and all of that good stuff, annuities. It's way out there, right? And so you really do have to be smart with your money, In today's day and age, man, there's too much information out there for someone to not educate themselves on learning about finance, learning about investing. I was scared of the stock market. Nobody I knew had touched the stock market. The people who did touch the stock market crashed and burned because we Mm -hmm. had the whole 2008 stuff. People who touched real estate crashed and burned. So I remember I had a financial advisor. I said, hey, man, I just want to make sure my money doesn't go anywhere. Like just... Like, help me budget. I just want to make sure I but I have a, a really tight budget. And I just want to make sure my money is there. So I was more savings focused, right? And so for me, I don't know, you get one check and you're getting like $15,000 after taxes or something like that. So instantly for me, I'm like, oh, if I get cut tomorrow, that's about four months of living. Like this, 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 was, <laughs> this, this was my mindset. I got, you know, I got like a four month cushion before I have to go find another job. I get another check. Ooh, that's about seven months. I get another check. And now that, that was my mindset. Like, I just wanted to make sure I had enough to provide for myself and my family. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until later, then it's like, okay, now I have some money sitting there that, and my financial advisor, he was like, Hussein, we can grow this. I was like, I I don't know if I can do it. It might, it might, it might be hard on money. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. I don't want to make God angry. So this is good kind of sitting right where it was. But, and then, you know, I had to start educating myself and learning about investing and all the different things. And it took me longer. I wish I would have read more about it uh, when I was younger, but again, uh, looking back on it uh, for where I was coming from, I did the right thing for that time frame and just, uh, you know, my general education.
1: Now, this idea of the this, the 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 pension or that gap period between the time you retire and when the pension kicks in, at what point did you realize that hey man, I need to figure out what I'm going to do for this period of time, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to have any money coming in? That- you
2: know, I think uh, one of the beautiful things about being a Muslim is every day we prepare for the afterlife, right? Every day, every time we line up for prayer, we're thinking about the hereafter. Mm -hmm. Every time we're praying, we're praying for our hereafter first and then for this life. And everything that we do, for the most part, there's the afterlife, right? Mm -hmm. After high school, what are you going to do after that? Either you're going to go to college or you're not. You're going to choose the path, one of the two. Okay, you go to college, okay? As you're in college, it's not going to last forever. What are you going to do after that? So either I'm going to go and I'm going to make it into the NFL or I'm going to go into the workforce. Right. Okay, now I'm into the NFL. What are you going to do after that? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: For me, it was always knowing that everything is kind of temporary. Everything kind of happens in three to five year stretches. That's kind of the way our American cycle, you know, your middle school, three years. You go to high school for four years. College, some people do it in three to five years. Undergrad, and then grad school, people are kind of like two to Mm -hmm. four years or whatever. But there's like these periods, and then it's like, well, what next? What next? What next? And I never looked at football as the end all for me. I always looked at it as a nest egg. It's going to give me a leg up on my counterparts who are 25, 26, 27, 28, Mm -hmm. 29, 30. Because now, while they're trying to pay down student loans, I went to school for free. So now I'm cash positive. And while they're paying a mortgage, I can pay mine off because look at this influx that I got. And so that's always the way I looked at it. I never looked at it as, OK, I'm going to do this and I'm going to retire from life when I walk away from football. No, I'm I'm still going to work. You know, I don't know in what field, um, but I knew that there was going to be an afterlife of football. So I was always preparing for that.
1: Uh, you had a really great mentor you were mentioning with with your brother. Um, and, and other players and that type of thing like i, I know there's a, a, a bunch of muslim football players in the nfl right now i would say maybe two handfuls right maybe 10 or, or 20 or so So is there like a group that you put together to kind of help along the way to be able to say okay, this is you know you gotta, gotta realize these things before you you know before you do anything else like that
2: no in 2015 and 2016 my brother and i was uh Building uh, was building an organization for Muslim athletes and Muslim entertainers, so we can do just that, right? To yeah. uh, so number one, help people maintain their Islam because we know the sports and entertainment industry, that culture is wild, man. And you, you know, talk about gripping a hot coal; it's uh, you, you, you really playing with that thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's tough. And so we really wanted to be able to build something that brings people together that educates people um, that creates opportunity and really just kind of like mentorship and guidance. And so we were working on it 2015, 2016, but then we hit a wall in 2017 to where we couldn't make it a sustainable model. Right. And this is from my lack of business understanding. So I'll take the full blame for that because it was, I was spearheading this effort. You know, now I do want to get back to that now that I do know a little bit more about business after, uh, running the company and investing in companies and just, we need something like that to be able to help, help each other out. But uh, at the moment, uh, no, we don't.
1: How much awareness do you have? Oh, I need to make sure that I invest this in Islamically or, um, or what, what, what was going through your mind? Is this, or is it just, you know what, let me just talk it away until I retire and then I'll, I'll figure it out after that.
2: So for me, probably 2010, 2011, my brother and I, we started talking more business and seeing more business opportunities. We started meeting more people. Um, and so people just start throwing these different ideas and pitches, right? These business pitches. And we were just kind of pushing them uh, aside again. I know too many people who had got burned in the real estate and, um, stock markets. So I still was kind of pushing back on that, but then it got to a point to where I was like, okay, I want to learn. I know that I don't know. Right. So I need to learn. So I started asking questions, friends with uh, a lot of the imams down here in Dallas, why uh, so I moved down here in Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, and they're also my teachers, and I'll just ask them questions. And if they say, oh, we can't touch this. Why? Why? Oh, yeah. it says this in the Quran. I'll go read it, and I'll say, are you sure it says this? Well, what is this? Out of this function. As Muslims, someone says, this is halal or this is Haram, and then we just go. Mm-hmm. And we're not supposed to do that because, you know, a lot of in the Quran about the people who came before us, that they took their priests and their rabbis as lords, Right because they, they told them to do something and they never investigated. Is this what the good book says, right? Mm -hmm. So we're supposed to do what the good book says. And so I would read in the Quran and I'll say, okay, there's certain things that we can do and there's certain things that we can't do. So let me go try to look for which one falls into what bucket. And so I think that opened up my eyes to uh, investing. It opened up my eyes to um, different types of businesses. And then just uh, again, just meeting different people. What kind of business are you in? And what kind of business? Are you in like, I didn't even know you can make money doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh just again, just staying curious and inquisitive.
0: I'm actually really curious how Hajj affected both your career just as an athlete, but also your budgeting. Cause that was a year you took off right from the NFL. Uh you talked about how you're getting like one seventeenth every game. Um, I imagine just not getting paid for that year either, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh no money at all. Um uh it was it was something to where uh uh, and I wrote an article in the Players' Tribune just about, like, the things I dealt with, with the concussions and the mental health and all those uh, different issues. Uh, really, I just needed to turn to Allah. I really didn't care about nothing else. I knew that if I turned to Allah and I fully focused on Allah, the rest would play itself out. Allah was going to take care of me. So I just wanted to make sure I realigned my purpose. Um, because, again, you can get into the sports and entertainment industry and things could be moving so fast that you could lose yourself. For me, year one was so, year two was so. But it's like when I became a starter on the Vikings in year three, my God, everything just started like, mm-hmm. it just started going crazy, right? Because I go from, you know, making 300,000, or uh, I don't know what my second year was, 350, 370, I don't know. All of a sudden, I'm making 600 to almost $2 million. And then it just starts speeding up, right? Everything just goes fast. And then all of a sudden, again, people coming around and all kind of weird stuff starts happening. Mm-hmm. So really just needed to recenter and refocus, especially after the, the 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 gift and the blessing of those injuries. It really, like, a lot knocked me on my head so I can make sure I focus on the main thing. That yeah. year of 2012, athletically, for Hamza, that actually ended his career, that he did not play in the NFL after that. Uh, and he actually had a very difficult transition uh, to go along with it uh, out of the game. And for me, uh, it was a tough year because I really wanted to play, but I really wanted to be right with the law first. For me, my fourth year in the NFL, I made a nice chunk of change. Um, and so I wasn't overly concerned about going a year without income. Because remember, I told you guys from my first year, I was like, oh, if I don't get a check, that's three months, six yeah. months, nine months. right?" So I knew that I had runway. Right because uh, I didn't buy anything stupid. Um, I don't need anything to be flashy or anything like that. So I knew that we were going to be uh, just fine from a financial standpoint. But then athletically, I started training again because, you know, just the, just the desire to compete, continue to live out the dream, talk to some different Imams. And they said, hey, you'll do more for the Muslim Ummah inside the locker room than you were outside the locker room. So I wanted to go back uh on the team and then also there are some people who wrote a uh, different things it was like oh they're not leaving the nfl they they couldn't cut it it's kind of like i gotta prove these people wrong now too you know what i mean so yeah but it, it was nice uh going through 2012 a very spiritually cleansing year and refocusing and then being able to be signed by the chiefs in 2013 that was uh, a huge blessing
1: that's great. What advice would you give somebody, um, you know, who's very young, and it doesn't have to be an athlete, it could be somebody who's in, in media or even in corporate America. But you know, they're, they're faced with this idea of a bring, having a lot of money coming in when they're not used to it. Right. Uh, and the second thing is just that fame that, that, that comes along with it, maybe all the all the baggage with with that, what, what, what advice would you give
2: just um, always prepare for the afterlife. Right. So we know on the spiritual journey, uh, the ultimate transition is from life into death. That's the ultimate transition, life to death, into the afterlife. Right. This Mm -hmm. is the one that uh, we read about, we pray about trying to get people to believe. We tell other people, hey, there's going to be life after death. Right. So that's the number one transition. But in that we have all these different many transitions that almost mimic the same thing. It's very um Unique when you pay attention to it. There are times of expansion and times of restriction, and so if you're in a time where uh, Allah is blessing you with more money than you need, kind of like uh, in Surah to Yusuf, where you know th- there's going to be an abundance for seven years. Mm-hmm and then there's gonna be a drought for seven years, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of, oh, there's abundance, let me just become wasteful, which is a lot of what, you know, if you follow what social media tells you, take a million and one trips, show off your big fancy house, go, I mean, you got people renting cars to take pictures of, them. you have people renting money to take a picture, it's the stupidest thing in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of being flashy during that time of expansion, prepare for the afterlife, what happens next, right? save, give some in charity, invest some. When that time of restriction comes, you don't get squeezed too tight. You can be able to brace for that. And then uh, we know after hardship comes these, then there's going to be another time of expansion. During that time of expansion, again, be smart about it. Think about what's next. Sometimes people get a job and they're like, oh, look how much money I'm making. Not knowing that, man, this is just a project. In six months, you are gone. (laughs) They're going to pay you a lot of money. But the second they can run you off their books, they cut you. This is just what it is. And some people think, oh, look how fast the money's coming in. It's not for it. As if it's going to be happening forever and it's not, Mm -hmm. right? So, again, I will just say always just be preparing for the afterlife. Learn how to be content. Learn how to uh, flatline your expenses. When you do get that increase, if you got an increase in expenses as well, you still going to be broke. Just basic things. I, I draw up on my uh, whiteboard, and I tell my children, and even you know, just even some of my employees, I say, if your income is greater than your expenses, this is where we want to be. Now you can get to savings, investing, all that good stuff. I said, if your income is equal to your expenses, now you're broke, right? <laughs> and if your income is less than your expenses, well, now you're in debt, and that's called slavery. So none of us wants to be a financial slave. What, what are you doing now and what's your plan for the future? Uh... After I retired from the NFL in 2016, I went and got my master's at uh, Southern Methodist University in conflict resolution. And uh, I really liked the executive leadership part. I really liked the systems design of conflict resolution. And so I started applying it to business. And so currently uh, for the last five years, we had five years on October 1st. I've been running trucks with Amazon. Oh, nice. So uh, I, have, I own a logistics company and we have uh, a delivery service partner with Amazon. And I've been doing that for the last five years. But now, same thing. I'm preparing for my uh, for my afterlife. and, okay, I've done this, but what next? I know this is not a business that is going to be there for 20, 30 years mm-hmm. just because the way Amazon operates. So I'm looking at other opportunities. As an entrepreneur, you're kind of always kicking the tires on things. Allah says, you know, we should be like the birds. They put their trust in Allah, they leave the nest, they go search for food, and they leave with their bellies empty and they always come back bellies full. So for me, that's kind of the way the entrepreneur is. Every day we get up, we put our trust in Allah, we go work, we don't know where we're going to find it, but when we trust in Allah, we know it's going to be there. And so currently I'm looking at some uh, opportunities that are back in sports, looking at some opportunities that, you know, have a purpose to them and make a difference in uh, society. And wherever a lot takes me, that's where I'm going to be.
1: Very, very good points. I really, really appreciate the, the, the advice and uh, for your time. Uh, Scott, do you have anything before we kind of wrap up? I uh, just thank you for your
0: time. This was excellent.
2: Yeah, no, thank you, guys.
1: Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Halal Money Matters. If you're a longtime listener, or even if this is just your first time tuning in, we would really appreciate it if you take the time to rate us and leave a comment on your podcast streamer. It really helps us reach a bigger audience and helps others benefit from the show as well. Thank you so much.
0: This podcast is prepared based on information Saturna Capital deems reliable. However, Saturna Capital does not warrant the accuracy or completeness of the information. We do not provide tax, accounting, or legal advice to our clients, and all investors are advised to consult with their tax, accounting, or legal advisors regarding any potential investment. Investors should not assume that investments in the securities and or sectors described were or will be profitable. Investors should consult with a financial advisor prior to making an investment decision. The views and information discussed in this commentary are at a specific point in time, are subject to change, and may not reflect the views of the firm as a whole. All material presented in this publication, unless specifically indicated otherwise, is under copyright to Saturna. No part of this publication may be altered in any way, copied or distributed without the prior express written permission of Saturna Capital.